the network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. A state of control. This is a state of control, episode number three, recorded Monday, April twenty second, two thousand thirteen. The Lavecchia Code. Welcome to a state of control, the podcast about the control and automation segment of the AV industry, brought to you by the fine folks at AV Nation. My name is Tim Albright. I'm your host for today. With us, as always, is Steve Greenblatt. Steve is the uh, the chief everything at Control Concepts. How are you, sir? Great. How are you today? Doing well. Also with us is Rich Fragoza, Uncle Richie. He is the owner uh, of Fragoza Design and his own dance troupe. <laughs> and everybody, <laughs> and 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 every party has to have an unpredictable un- Uncle Richie show up. So that would be you. <laughs> uh, also with us uh, is Mark uh, Devakia. He is the president of BMA Solutions, uh, BMA Software Solutions. How are you, sir? I'm very well. Ready to uh, provide Uncle Richie with the alcohol he needs to. Oh, gee, stop it. <laughs> to start doing the Macarena. It's only sure. 9 in the morning in the Pacific, so. Um, which I guess was is, is about right for San Francisco. So, uh, and last but not least, <laughs> uh, a first-timer here, Troy Morgan. He is the president of Pantech Design. How are you, sir? Doing well, sir. Glad to be here. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Uh, okay, so a couple of episodes ago, we started a conversation that we knew good and well was not going to be contained in the, the last five or ten minutes of that episode. So we're going to devote an entire show, and maybe two, depending on how this one goes, to one question. And I, I, I say that this is the, um, the, uh, the, the religious fanaticism question in the world <laughs> of AV. And that is a very simple question, is who owns the code? Um, before we get started, a quick definition. Basically, when you when you've got a an AV system, a, a fully automated, uh, controlled, you know, from a, a third party or maybe even the same company uh, control system, you have someone some down somewhere down the line who has spent you know blood, sweat, and tears putting in the ones and the zeros, the logical uh, ins and outs that says this is what happens when you push this button. That is compiled down, and it is affectionately known as the code that is, uh, that is written. Now, uh, Mr. Greenblatt, we'll start with you on this one. Um, give me a, a kind of a, a, a Cliff Notes version of how this happens. How is, how is it written? Um, where does the, uh, where, where does the, where does the uh, direction for it come from? Okay, well, well when we're talking about uh, programming and AV control, there's a few major manufacturers we all know, and um, they each have proprietary software, and none of this at this point is really written in any mainstream language. So what they do is they provide us tools, and us, I'm saying programmers, uh, and we use those tools to write in their language the instruction set for how a system is going to work. And that it comes in a couple of pieces. It's the program 
file which we call that gets loaded into a processor which is you know a pro 2 or pro 3 we call it whatever it might be or an amx netlink system um, or, or an extron uh, processor uh, and there's also a touch panel file which is a separate entity and within those pieces there are also different components, modules, IR files, graphics, and so forth. And, and all of those pieces together really are what makes up the source code. And source code is really everything that you need to be able to make changes to your system. Okay, so, Troy, if I have this, I have this in my, in my fancy-spancy, you know, um, 200,000-square-foot house... Can I just wake up one morning and decide I want to change the uh, the layout of my touch panel? Sort of, but <laughs> not not typically. Okay, uh, that would have to be written in uh, up front that dynamic capability to change your touch panel. But uh, most of the time, I would say ninety nine point nine percent of the time, we're we're uh, you know not giving that ability from the touch panel. But the end user is not going to be able to take their source code, open it up on a computer and start making changes and then load it into the processor to play with later. So. And what is the, the, I guess, the overarching thinking behind that? Well, the, the purpose, I think, is to, I think you got to dig down a little deeper on, on that question because there's surface things that, you know, we've, we've talked about so far, I guess, a little bit that, you know, there's source code and there's files that you, you modify and change and load into processors and stuff. But uh, in my opinion, the underlying problem or question here is not, it's not that. It's more uh, semantics and communication and, and understanding what, what those things really are and what they mean both to the homeowner and the, uh, the author or developer. So I, I, I don't know if I can quite answer exactly your question there, but I'm sure we'll get there through the rest of this. No, oh, I, I, I'm certain of it. If we want, we'll do another show. Which you know, kind of what we do. Um, it, yeah, the definition of what is is. Show. What is is. <laughs> right. I did not have. Never mind. Okay, uh, <laughs> Uncle Richie. Um, maybe you can answer this when it comes to um, you know dealing with end users and, and honestly, we I, I I use the scenario of, of my my house and that is not my house by the way. Um, but not just, you know, the homeowner, but also the business owner as well. Um, do you have a sense from maybe the control community what the overarching sense or the overarching idea is to why you wouldn't give um, maybe the, the, the final end user the capability to change things um, at a whim? Uh, well, it's two-part. Changing things at a whim, it's... You know, it's 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 like taking somebody who hasn't driven and throwing them in a Formula One car and saying, "All right, buddy, here you go, knock them knock them dead." Um, what we do, you know, it's not difficult. You know, it really isn't in the grand scheme of things. I mean, it's it's what I explain to people is like, look, I didn't develop Microsoft Word. I just wrote the letter that lives on Microsoft Word. I'm using somebody else's tools to deliver a product that works for you, and. I do have some background and some training, and you know, for me, it's like you know, I use English to do it. And so, if you didn't speak English, you know, the homeowner, then you know, you're not going to be able to write this letter properly or edit it properly. And so, you may not have the tools to be able to do it yourself. There's a difference between possible and probable. 
you know, is it possible for an end user to modify things? Yeah. Is it probable? No, because they, they, they may, they don't have the software tools. They're not given the software tools from the manufacturer. The authorized dealer or the programmer is given the software tools to be able to do it. Um, so, you know, the way that I look at it is it, it's not really a matter of the end user modifying their stuff. It's a matter of the end user being able to hand it to somebody else who has the proper tools to be able to service it. It's like if I lived in, if I bought a car in New York, you know, XYZ brand, and I took it to the service center every day and they maintained it, and then I moved to LA, I shouldn't have to go back to New York to have my oil changed. I should be able to find somebody who falls under the same umbrella in LA to be able to do the same oil change. And that's the way that I view our code, you know, which is it's important for them to be able to, in the case of anything, whether the company goes out of business, whether there's a relationship fallout, whether somebody's outstayed their welcome, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, or, you know, things have just moved on and maybe somebody offers a better suite of services. It has to be the ability for that person who's paid for this to be able to transfer whatever they need for the project in question. And, you know, so in that respect, you know, do they, could they do it? You know, if they were, you know, theoretically, I guess the end user could go to Crestron or AMX school, become a dealer, learn all the programming tools, and then from there on forever I'll be able to manage their own project. Is that ever likely to happen? No. But theoretically that could be the end game. The other one being is that, you know, you know, the other one being is that, you know, they'll find somebody to do it. And, and my feeling is, look, I was paid to do a job to do this. I handed it over to you. As long as you don't resell it to somebody or just start giving it away and posting it on the Internet, you can pretty much do whatever the heck you want with it because you already paid me. Yeah. Go ahead, Mark. Well, what I, was, what I was going to say is that while it is unlikely that they would end up you know, trying to go to the training classes at Crestron or whomever to so that they can take on this this uh, code by themselves. That doesn't mean that they don't try. Um, and I say that from my years of being at, uh, working for Crestron, this was one of our eliminations of objections for converting somebody over to Crestron. Sure, and I'm talking strictly uh, and primarily from a commercial standpoint, not the residential side. Uh, because on the residential side, the, from, from my own experience on the residential side, the people that are hiring a, a rich Fragosa to program their house are smart enough to realize that they're doing that because they need somebody that is experienced and trained in that. Um, whereas on the commercial side, you may have a university that has a person who is in tech services at the university. They want to go to training so that they can now make minor modifications to touch panels, to layouts, room numbers, maybe, um, uh, you know, if you've got multiple rooms and uh, they want to put welcome to room number 135 on the front of the touch panel. So they may go to classes that allow them to do some modifications and tweaks. Uh, I don't ever recommend it. And, and the way that we get around that <clears throat> is that when we turn code over to a customer and we, uh, upon final payment, which is the other part of that, uh, we turn code over to them. They understand that for all intents and purposes, we'll, we'll back our code for as long as we're around. Uh, most people say, well, there's a one-year coverage and so forth. But for us, we just cover it for as long as we're around. With one caveat, that the code that's running on the processor right now is the code that we left you with. 
And the minute that you or anybody else touches, modifies, tweaks, or changes anything to that code that is currently the processor, then we are out of warranty. And my fee to come fix your changes to our code is $1 million an hour. Oh, geez. <laughs> so you are welcome to go and play if you would like. However, um, tread carefully. And, and I think that people recognize that when they're bringing in an independent programmer these days, um, I, I liken it to a line that I've used a lot, which is what people, good integrators and, and good customers surround themselves with smart people like a hole surrounds itself with a donut. You, you've got to be able to make sure that you've got a Rich Pagosa, Steve Greenblatt, a Troy Morgan in your corner to manage this part of the project for you. And as long as that's understood up front, then in the end, they'll be less likely to start begging for changes or wishing they could change a background color or something. Well, and, and Mark makes a good point, which is a, a, a slight tangent off of who owns the source code. There, there's a difference at that point where what he's talking about is the handoff, which we have the same policy, which is the minute that we load into our processors, we in essence take you know, what we call a snapshot, which is I know every single thing that's in there down to the file structure of where it came from. I can verify that it came from one of our computers yeah. to load. If a change has happened and we see that it came from quote-unquote, an unauthorized device, we can go ahead and very simply document that fact and say, hey, look, we gave it to you with the, with the understanding, like Mark said, we gave it to you with the understanding that as long as we're handling it, we're covering it. The minute somebody decides to you know, go on a flyer and have a party with it, that completely changes it. But I don't think, but that's much different than I'm never giving you the code in the first place because I'm the rightful owner and you have to always deal with me. And that's, that's kind of the difference and what I fall into, especially on the residential side, is that situation where I have to basically badger somebody and, and, and I, you know, I get the, I'm an artist, I'm a computer programming artist argument, you know, this is my lifeblood, this is what I do. No, it's not, you wrote code, all right? <laughs> you, you turn something on and off. All right, let's 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 get down to basics first and then let's get over ourselves and then decide somebody paid us very good money, except that except in Mark's case, Mark says that, you know, he already killed my uh, my income stream with my save as yeah. uh, recurring recurring income. Um, but but, you know, again, it, it, that's the expectation side, I think. And I think Mark's 100 percent on that, which is that's first establishing client expectations of here's your do's and here's your don'ts. But they still are in possession of the source code at that point, right, Mark? They they are, and and the, we are we are kind of breaking off into two areas, which is what is the your original question, Tim? Which is what if the customer wakes up one day and wants to change something? Yeah, um, which is a a different animal. If if they want to change something, they should be coming back to us. And if they're not coming back to us, then we need to know why. Um, if there's somebody that thinks that they can do this, and we have this, we have these discussions with our customers uh, more often than probably anybody wants to admit, hey, what if I want to do this? What if I want to change, modify, tweak, or whatever? And we just, as long as we communicate with them up front what that entails, then we find ourselves in a more, uh, in a better situation to win this than it is to uh, get into a, a tugging match with them. 
if it's a question of, okay, do I get a copy of this at the end? Do I get my code in the end? That's a different animal. Uh, and, and the answer should be yes to that. But again, hinges on the communication upfront of what that means to the customer and what they're getting. Yeah, Mark, you, 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 you nailed it. In fact, both of you guys, both of you guys are saying the, the right things here. Uh, and, and I think, you know, from, from my standpoint, first of all, I just want to say we have no problem giving a, a licensed copy of source code to anybody. Uh, and I'm right there with Mark on, you know, the warranty stuff. And I'm sure, Richard, you're the same uh, as far as that goes. We, we've probably got differences in, you know, time and, uh, you know, those types of things. But at the end of the day, I think the biggest problem that we're dealing with here is not whether we are uh, willing to give source code. It's what we are actually giving and, and what we're calling it. And so when you look at this big picture question, who owns the code? That doesn't really talk about whether you're giving it up or not giving it up or who you're giving it to or whatever. That, that one question has a fundamental flaw. It's almost like that great character flaw question you try and catch people in in an interview. You, you know, who owns the code? Well, ownership and licensing have have you know two different uh, things going on there. Um, if if I were to say, well, gee, everybody that uh, uh, pay, pays me for a source for or for code for us to write code for them, uh, they own it. Well, I pretty much got a. Uh, I, I'm co-owning. I chose because of the semantics of it. And that's where people are really making mistakes here. It's in, in terms of communicating the right thing up front. As Mark was saying, we got to tell people up front, you know, what this what, what this is really all about. And I believe that success starts with clarity about these things on the front end. So there is no confusion. And people understand at the end of this job, you're going to get a licensed copy of source code to use, modify, and change for the location that the processor resides. That's different than saying, oh, yeah, dude, you own it, man. Do whatever you want. Well, I own it? Oh, okay, great. So now I can go sell it, redistribute it. You know, That's where the mistake is being made. It's in the semantics of, of what we're actually giving up here and how we're communicating about it. Troy, let me ask you a question. Do you think maybe the the language being used is a possible backlash or a, a pendulum swing between what happened in, in the nineties and the early two thousands when let's be honest, there was, there was a, a movement that said that you didn't own the code that, that um, you weren't going to give the end user a copy of it because like Rich said, you know, I, I am an artist. I, I, I created this and I should be the only one to modify it. By the way, I have actually had that said to me. Oh, so have I. No. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think we've all, I think we've all heard that or or, or whatever over the years. Um, I do I think it's a pendulum swing? I, I don't think it's a pendulum swing so much as it's a. At that time, our our industry was in its infancy, and we've grown up a lot uh, in terms of the hardware we're using and the toys we're playing with and all that stuff. But the 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 thing is, the fundamental problem here is we're still in our infancy in terms of understanding intellectual property and how to communicate about it well and what to do with it uh, so that we're not only protecting uh, uh, ourselves, but we're also protecting our clients. And, and, and we're not out there talking stupidly 
uh, about this stuff to our friends and whatever. I mean, I see quotes all the time and little, you know, blurbs because of these articles that are going on. And uh, it just it's laughable to me sometimes because people are missing the, the, the point. And, and from my perspective, the point here is, guys, let's grow up. Let's understand uh, more about the intellectual property that we're all responsible for. And let's communicate about it properly and do the right things with it. You know, most people don't know that we're required by law, whether we're in business or not in business, to keep a copy of source code for seven years. That's to protect the homeowner or the business owner, you know, the person who who has this system and it needs to, you know, maybe have updates or run forever. You know, that that's a by law thing. Nobody really knows that. And there's obviously all kinds of other things that go into that, and I can certainly help with some of the detail with respect to the difference between ownership and licensing, and that's kind of my hope is that I'll, I'll get to do that. Right. And, and, you know, Tim, let me add something that Troy nailed, to be honest, I hadn't thought about. But when you talk about the 90s and the 2000s in terms of that, that code being sent out, you're talking about a time when 99% of the code was written either by a programmer at the integrator or by the manufacturer. And the reason that I don't think that this is a pendulum swing is because the reason you're seeing more responsibility of turning code over to end users is because it's being managed primarily now to many extents by independent programmers whose very livelihood depend on this. Good point, Mark. Uh, and and what, what I found my earliest days at Crestron, and one of the reasons our policy is so clear in terms of making sure our customers get that code is the, the reason for not turning over the code. One thing I disagree with the reason for not turning over that code in the commercial world wasn't because we're an artist or that the, the integrator was saying, I'm an artist or I'm real. It wasn't like that. It's, nobody wants to really talk about it. But the bottom line is the larger integrators that, that had multiple offices throughout the United States at that time did not share the code because they were holding their customers hostage. This was a way to make sure that their customers had to come back to them instead of go back and pay a new integrator to redo their rooms. That was a fight we had with yeah. integrators on a regular basis. And so some people want to say, well, it's my, it's my craft, it's my trade. And the reality is what we saw on the commercial side was, you're my customer, and if you're going to leave me, I'm going to make it painful for you. Those days are done. It doesn't happen like that anymore. But, but it did used to. Mark, Mark you're, you're right. Yeah. I mean, I, as, as you know, I, I, I fought those battles uh, uh, with you, you know, yeah. alongside you at Crestron. And, That's right. You know, I, I even ran the CAPE program for two years. And, you know, that was a – I would say I was, I was involved in that shift of thinking uh, from the manufacturer's perspective. And, yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it was uh, – there was a, a hostage-type situation going on out there. Uh, specifically on the commercial side, uh, and it was really forcing the hand of people. And I, I think I, I like that everybody's so uh, no man, that's wrong, and you know, give up your stuff. And you know, I think that's great, but I think we have to grow up and understand how to do it the right way, so we're protecting our clients, ourselves, every you know, all parties involved. Well, and you also have, regardless of whether you're a CAPE or you, I shouldn't say CAPE, but uh, yeah, CSP now. Well, not just that, but it, it, <laughs> that's a Crestron specific one, right? There's an AMX version right. of it and stuff. Yeah. Um, 
but but a, a programmer, and that's what you do for a living. That's how you make your money. Or an integrator, you also have a responsibility um, contractually to protect the manufacturer as well, don't you? For sure. Yes. Yeah. You absolutely do. And, and yeah, in fact, in fact uh, go ahead, Mark. No, I I, I want to get Steve in here because he's either enjoying this conversation or <laughs> napping. But Steve, <laughs> we we we've talked a lot about. Uh, where a lot of this leads to, which is the advantages, and I don't want to turn this into an infomercial, so Tim, stop me because I'm new to this, but the advantages to using a company that is specifically built to write controls code, an independent programmer, Mm -hmm. what that does is it gives you not just the ability to work with somebody that will define this up front and make sure you get your code at the end of the project, uh, for us, we turn it over once we get final payment. At the, you know, at some point, I've got to use it for something, and that's what I use it for. Um, but what happens is integrators, as, as a rule, they have programmers on staff maybe, but they also have turnover. And mm-hmm. so they need to make sure that code that they do for the projects they have get put on an FTP or backup server or something like that so that it's available at all times. They don't, in many cases, do this consistently when they don't have turnover. Where somebody goes to a job site, they make a, moder- mod- a minor modification. First rule: come home, back it up, put it on the server. Let everybody rev it up and know that that's the last rev that's running out there. So if anybody else has to go, they've got it. You can't imagine the number of problems that happen when you take code that's not the latest revision and make modifications and load it to a processor. You've got a lot of trouble. And this part of it, where they lose management of the code. And they, so they're not, they're so busy about holding on to it and not turning it over back then that they never bothered to really back it up and keep it in a manageable state. And what independent programmers have done, good ones, they have brought organization and structure and pro, uh, backup protocol to the controls part of the world. And so I don't see that pendulum coming back. I see it more well managed now than it's ever been in our business. I agree. I think one of the things that we we didn't touch on, and it's an interesting discussion, is when you talk about ownership of the code, we're all talking about the end user, which is the rightful owner in in our opinion, and I think in the majority of the opinion. But when you're working as a subcontractor and you have to turn your code over to an integrator or another party, that's where a lot of the risk comes in. I, I don't know that we necessarily believe that the end user, and and they may, okay, they it is going to, to do something to violate an agreement or or use the code um, unjustly, it, you know, it, unless you're talking about making modifications and getting themselves in trouble. But there's another side of the coin to look at is reuse, because I think that's really what we're protecting. We don't want somebody taking the work that was done for a particular project that was paid for and then using it for another project. And that's where I think that that there's a, you know a legal ramification, and that's where I think a, a lot of the possessiveness comes in. Steve, well, I, I kind of dis- I, I agree sort of with what Steve's saying here, but I kind of disagree in a way because I don't think it matters who's in in on the receiving end of uh, of the source code uh, too much. I, I think it should be the same for everybody, and I think more so for homeowners. They're, they're going to inadvertently make a mistake if you don't help them understand what they are in possession of. 
if you literally hand over the source code to somebody with no documentation in place and just say, well, here you go, man, you own it. Well, they're not going to work on it. What are they going to do? They're going to call another programmer or somebody else, however they do it, and they're going to bring that somebody else in. It's, it's that somebody else that you got to worry about and everything down line from there. Because if you do have some things that you put in there to make things really efficient and super smooth and all, all, all great and everything, man, you, you don't want that getting out there. And you don't want that, uh, you know, falling into the hands of, of somebody who's going to, you know, take it and redistribute it. So I, I think in, what I would like to see happen is I'd like the homeowners to be educated about what they're receiving. And we, we arm them with a, a, a disclosure and sub-license agreement. And we explain to them, now, you know, anybody you give this code to, you're going to want to have them sign this document between you and them. See, this other document's between you and I, and that's your license to, you know, have changes and modifications made and stuff. But anybody you give it to, you're going to want to cover yourself, too, because if it gets out and I'm going to come see you, you need to be able to go see the other guy that you gave it to. So, I, again, I, I go back to the same thing, and you're going to continue to hear this from me. It's education. I mean, even even just a moment ago, uh, we were talking about ownership again, that, that the client owns the – no, they don't own it. They can't own it because if they own it, you can't use Crestron modules or AMX modules or any of that because you can't give over something you don't own. Yeah. You better not be putting in there stuff that you want to use again because guess what? You don't own it anymore if you're giving ownership to somebody else. So now, or either that, or now you, you are in a co-owner, co unwritten, by the way, co-ownership situation, where if you choose to use parts and pieces of the code you just gave to somebody and told them they own it, guess what? They, they, they own part of the next job you just did. Because you said so. came right out of your mouth. It comes right back down to uh, responsibility and, and growing up a little bit and understanding intellectual property and how to handle it. Well, but that also goes back to whether it's the independent programmer or the dealer as an exception. When, when we are saying that somebody is going to own it completely, we start from scratch. It's like, Amen. okay, we start from scratch. No problem at all. If, we, if that's the agreement that we have, that's right. we're not using any existing modules. We're not using any pre-existing code, et cetera, et cetera. So what you were saying is that you are not looking to gain any of the efficiencies of scale and cost by my prior experience. No problem with that. Yep. But again, so it's more than just it's more than just educating the homeowner. The problem oh, it's our industry. Have, exactly. I mean, it's 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 still the wild west in a lot of instances. I mean, I would think that you know, again, Mark and I have we've been at this. What you're coming up on? What 25, 26 years, Mark? Old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm coming up on 23, so about, 20, so about 25 years, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's almost a quarter of a century later, and we're st I'm still running across the same objections from you know other third parties, or when we come in to do a takeover or something that I ran into 25 years ago when we had DOS. That we were doing this stuff on, you know. Yeah, I mean, I, we didn't I, even have software at that point. We were drawing it on the panel. <laughs> but, but I, I would, I would add that in another twenty-five, another fifty, another hundred years, the answer is still going to be the same. Amen. Communication up front. Period. That's right. That's and, right. And that, that that applies to more than just code, naturally. But 
this is where independent programmers have managed to get this problem more manageable moving forward. Um, and to drill deeper into what Rich and Troy have been talking about is we're talking about taking, all right, I've done your boardroom now. I'm with the boardroom and I'm going to give a copy of that code to my to the integrator that hired me. I'm, I'm, because all of our work is commercial, probably 90% of it is done. We're subbed by an integrator to do it. So it's a little bit different for us. So there's a relationship there that we understand in the beginning. But we take that that last rev of code upon completion and sign off of the project, and we hand a copy of that over to them so that they have it backed up for their customer and so forth. We understand they're not gonna reuse it. Some of them do and they get in trouble and we can talk about that for days, but you, there's another layer to it, which is if you understand upfront what the expectations are, and for example, they want everything, like Rich was just saying, then we know we're gonna program it that way. We're gonna program it so that everything's open and available. And, and, and you can use whatever you want because we don't care. The flip side to it is, at least from our perspective, that makes it more expensive for us to write the program now because yep. now I'm gonna be writing stuff that I haven't really before. Whereas okay. if I can go back and use various modules that I've created for devices or for routing sources or so forth, if we've got certain uh, modules that to us are margin. These are I, people look at me funny when I mention that, but it's just the truth. This is where we make our money. We figured out a way to do this in your job faster than everybody else. But this is our intellectual property right here, and it's so important to us that we've protected it with a password. And we explain these things up front to the customer because if they come back later and say, "Hey, I need the password to this module so Billy down the road can tweak your code," now we have a problem. Yeah. And that's drilling deeper down into what we're talking about because we're talking about turning code over, but then we're talking about the components of it that are truly the margins that, that we rely on in our project. So if we had somebody who was breaking in, I mean, what are we seeing as our cumulative advice? I mean, because that's really the whole point of this podcast, which is obviously the people who are listening to it have a vested interest in control system programming, you know, whether they're just, you know, uh, they're really weird and they just like it as a hobby. It's different as opposed to, you know, maybe I'm assuming people who are in the business are going to be listening to this, you know. You know, what, 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 I mean, the key points I think that I, for me is, is exactly what you guys have been saying, which is lay everything out up front. You know, That's this it. is not, it's, you know, it's, and, well, and, and, but I think a lot of times is that a lot of these guys going in, go in saying, well, if I say that, I'm going to scare them off and I'm going to lose the job and, mm -hmm. You know, I know that they've got three other bits, and so I don't want to put myself in a position to dot, dot, dot. We've all heard these arguments. Yeah, you know, and I think right there. Ourselves at times, you know. Right there in that exact position, um, you're setting yourself up for failure. You're starting with, with the possibility of failure if you don't communicate these things up front. And, you know, what do you think is going to happen, you know, after you've done those three jobs? <laughs> and, the, and the guy comes back and he goes, okay, so uh, how do we handle this whole uh, source code thing? And you go, oh, gee, I didn't tell you about that. We don't, uh, we don't give a source code. I mean, that's a much bigger problem. So I, I, think, I think you're right. That the key to this is two things. It's, it's communicating up front, but there's more to it. It's, it's communicating properly up front, uh, using the proper words, being very, very smart about it and very clear uh, I'll, I'll give you an example. Have, have you guys ever heard of the uh, phrase, works made for hire? 
Does that ever ever come up in yes. any of your? I, I have had that. I have had that. Yes, we have we have had an agreement where specifically we went back and forth for weeks on that phrase. Yes. Well, that that phrase to the intellectual property, uh, you know, industry, if you will, means that every single thing you do under this agreement belongs to your client. It means that everything you develop, every every idea you have, all those things, all get wrapped up in this, hey, uh, client's hiring you, and everything you do deemed works is theirs. It's the and, equivalent of a programmer being hired for a company and the fruits of their work. You know, if you went to if you went to, you know, go work for Bell Labs in the old days. That yeah. that's basically, you know, that's what you're doing. And, that's it. Oh yeah, no, and, and, and that's and that that is a very key phrase, and I'm glad you mentioned that, because that that keys back into the conversation that I had, which is, yes, if that is the clause and that's how you feel about it, guess what? It's going to get expensive fast. You know, that's it's, like, right. it's, it's, it's the, the Lavecchia $1 million an hour. That's uh, it, man. Billing, billing, you know. I'm going to start using that, by the way. I'm, I'm just going to get, you know, we've got like the Da Vinci code. That's the Lavecchia code. You start throwing that point around, they get it. The customer Eventually, gets it. Yeah. Yeah, they, 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 and as long as they're clear up front, properly clear, as Troy said, it shouldn't be an issue. That, and that's really the point here. So if you guys go back after this thing that we're doing together and you look at the very first article, who owns the code? And you take the, and you look at the next article and the next article and you, and you look at some of the responses, it'll give you a real clear indication of the infancy of our industry with respect to intellectual property. Just the things that people are saying and how they're communicating about it, that alone is where the confusion lies. And that's where I think we as an industry gotta grow up and just say, okay, let's 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 understand this. Let's recognize the difference between ownership and licensing. And then also drill down even deeper, because there's parts of that. There's there's you know uh, uh, non-exclusive license versus an exclusive license. There's multi-site licenses. There's, that's the thing that has to start to happen is we have to start to understand how to communicate and what to tell people. And, and like we've all agreed, do that up front and make sure that the client knows that it's in their best interest, that we're doing this not to hurt anybody. We're doing this to help everybody. Because have you guys ever heard of starting a, a partnership with an exit strategy, have you ever heard that before? Mm -hmm. Okay, that's that's very confusing to some people. Unless you've been in a partnership before or two, you know, especially after being in one, how important that is. You have to have an exit strategy. It's not that you're planning to fail; you plan for success, but you 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 prepare and document for you know the worst case scenarios. That's how you cover everybody and take care of everybody's money the right way. And that's really what it boils down to. We've always said nobody ever goes to court when they're happy. Right? <laughs> yeah. Let's turn this around, though, in another direction. And I hate to, to, to throw a wrench in the mix, but how about when consultants define a spec and they call out programming to be sole exclusive ownership by the end user or something like that, and you're bidding a project? And it, it, that, that's when things get a little stickier. So maybe it is, isn't just educating the end user or the consumer, but also educating the rest of the industry. Because it, I, it I find that very, very often that, that 
I don't like the terms or the or or I'm, I'm not really comfortable with with how a consultant has spelled out code ownership. But hey, if I were to bid it at a price that I give them exclusive ownership or or sole or whatever the term is, or or have to give them ownership to all the bits and pieces of the code, then we, we would be priced out of the project. So it, 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 it is something that, that we have to consider and we, we have to, I think, be more aware of, uh, you know, and police ourselves. Yeah, it's, it, you have to decide where you want to lose, um, I think, in that case. I mean, what we run into when, when we see bid specs like that, man, I, I pick up the phone immediately and I make that phone call to either the integrator who sent us the bid spec or I'll call the consultant directly and, and I'll have, you know, the conversation with him and I'll explain to him, you know, ask him the questions. Are you aware of the difference between ownership and licensing? Uh, have you ever been through any of this stuff? Would you mind if I sent you a couple of documents or emails to help you? You know, if you need some help, I'm here. I've, I've, I've made it a point to, to try to uh, help everybody kind of grow up a little bit in this thing so that we can, you know, all be on the same page, understand the differences. And we don't get those bid specs that say, Stuff like uh, when the job's done, uh, the source code is going to get handed over uh, to the client, because that's th that alone right there. Those words that doesn't define what that stuff is. Yeah. It doesn't define whether they own it, they're licensed for it. it, it there's no clarity in that. But that's where we kind of see the bid specs. Uh, uh, you know, that's what they say anyway in, in the bid spec. Well, and some of those some of those bid specs are. From our perspective out here, anyway, our, our boilerplate left over from the days when an integrator was holding <laughs> a customer hostage. Yeah. Um, so they don't. They many times aren't even quite sure what they are asking. They're just making sure that somebody gets the code at the end of this thing, so their customer doesn't get left hanging. Yeah. Um, so what Troy's saying is right, which is in the end, it's got to come down to helping educate in the consultants market and so forth. Now, for us, uh, we, we have a lot of success working with uh, select consultants in our, our territory. Uh, and it begins with that very conversation. Who gets what? And, and how, how's this going down? What we find is most people don't care as long as it's defined properly. Yeah. Uh, and, and once it's defined properly up front, then everybody's happy with it. So, you know, it's but but. What I find in consultant specs are is just residual from the old days, believe it or not. What I've found in my own experience is I, whenever I get a spec like that, I have to ask myself the question, am I willing to pay for the privilege of working on my client's project? You know, Am I looking to get $250 an hour that's paid to me, or am I looking to pay out $350 an hour to my attorney when things go south? <laughs> you know, That's kind of the question that... I tend to offer advice for people starting out, which is, you know, do you can you afford the privilege <laughs> of paying for your client's project? That's a good yeah, point. That is a good point. Uh, all right, you are listening to a state of control, and I'm just sitting back here enjoying listening to people smarter than me. Uh, with us is is Mark Dovicki. That would not you, Rich. The other, me. The other three. Uh, <laughs> that one there is Uncle Richie Fergosa from Fergosa Design. Troy Morgan uh, from Pantech. Mark Devuckia from BMA Software Solution and Steve Greenblatt from Control Concepts. I'm going to ask a very elementary question, and I apologize if it seems too simplistic. Uh, but understand that I work for a, a college in, in the real world, in my, in my real job. 
and I'm coming at this from an end user. So, Troy, I've taken your advice. I've I've defined it as licensing and this, that, and the other. And I've I've uh, you know this is I don't own this, but I get a copy of it just for you know my own purposes and backup and this, that, and the other. What would you say, or or, or not just you, Troy, but anybody, uh, if you are dealing with and integrator and or a private programmer, not, not to use the cape, but, but the private programmer, regardless of it's AMX or Crestron or whoever, who, uh, once the job is done, the bills have been paid, the last 10%, uh, to Mark's point, has been paid, and they will not release the code. Uh, I think we'll all want to take that one for a second, but I'll start <laughs> first. Uh it's been said before a couple of times that uh, you know, if 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 you haven't done the right thing by your client, with looking at everything else other than code, I mean, you know, yeah. being responsive, uh, just simply done a good job, and the client wants to disassociate from you, that's on you, man. Um, that there should never be, in my opinion, there should never be a case where you're not willing to uh, provide a licensed copy of the source code. Uh, to the client or to your client, uh, because I think that's just bad business. I, I think that's uh, that that's doing the industry wrong. It's doing yourself wrong, and it's definitely doing your client wrong. If they've paid the bill, they've signed the uh, the license agreement. Uh, you know what? Uh, they need to have a copy of it. Yeah, I, I listen. It's as simple as this. If if you're working with somebody from a programming standpoint. And you discuss this up front, and they tell you that they will not be turning the code over to you. You walk away. You're done. That's no, right. You're done. You don't have you, you don't have anything to do with that person. And if that person has a problem with it, you tell them to call Troy. Thanks, Clause one dot one of the Lavecchia code. Oh my love god! It. Call Troy. I love call it. Troy. <laughs> but you know what? You you bring up something really uh, really important there. Because if you if you do if you have the conversation up front and they say uh, no that's that's not good you know yeah you, you got to get out but think about it this way if you're already having a problem on the front end wow what would that be like if you didn't have that conversation and you you're on the back end and all kinds of things can go wrong there and I mean just look at how people are communicating about this stuff oh no the client owns it and it, it's just this this real huge misunderstanding it's like it's like you know going to stephen king and saying no dude i bought the book i own it no it's it's at my house right now i i i own that book it, it's you know and stephen king looking at you going dude you're nuts you, you don't get it at all that's essentially where we're at right now with with intellectual property we got a bunch of people running around talking about no my client owns this and i'm giving him that because he owns it and blah 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 and reality is that's not the case at all and Tim, this doesn't even get into the inherent problems of something I brought up earlier, which is turnover. Oh yeah, out of the equation. Just at the end, let's take the university yeah. for example. Let's take a university or a uh, company. You know that that uh, Fortune 500 company that has a bunch of boardrooms, and they have a person that's been in charge of overseeing that technology, um, and they leave. They go somewhere else, and nobody really ever understood what their role was. Least of which was. Where's all the code? Now, a new integrator comes in, they go in to do a site walk, they look at a project, they go, oh yeah, we have existing systems. Boy, if I could get paid for this. They get, they have existing systems. 
Well, do you have any of the files? Oh, they're here somewhere. Well, where can they be? Well, we don't know. Is it the latest latest rev? Well, we don't know. Well, we'll have to call up Billy and ask him because he just went somewhere else. They call up Billy. Billy's not returning their call. Now you're in trouble. And it's, it's so frustrating to me to watch end users who don't recognize how important it is to have more than one person managing their systems, at least as a backup, so, know, so people know what's coming. It's, it's as bad as not getting the code in the end. It, to me, it's worse. It's one thing if they won't give you the code. It's another thing if you have it and you don't know where it is, but yeah. you can't find it or it's buried on a right. disk somewhere. Horrible, horrible. Situation. But it costs us a lot of money and time uh, to, I mean, at this, the, 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 the point that Mark's making here is, is awesome because this is the pre-sale area. This is where not a, money is not exchanging hands. Agreements aren't really happening because we have no idea what to charge and whether, we can, whether we're going to go at this thing as a, we're going to take somebody else's code on or whether there's even any code to take on. I mean, we, we don't know at this point. So we've got a client here who is, you want to talk about being held hostage, he can be held hostage even if he's got the code because right. it wasn't managed properly, wasn't put in the right spot. It's, you know, all that. And who's got to come in and clean that mess up? We do. Now take it to another layer. Now take it to the integrator who's gone to a customer. They've asked and they said, oh, yeah, we have the code. And they say, great, we're going to do another room. We'll base it on that. They go back. They make a proposal. They get the order. They call us up and say, hey, I got this order. They're getting me the latest revision of code. And red flags go everywhere. Well, oh, yeah. they're getting it. Who has it? They have it. What do they have it? Where do they have it? Well, they have it on their server. Well, who's getting it? Some guy. Is he still there? No, he's not. <laughs> what's what rev is running on the processor? What do you mean? What's rev is running? What, what what's did running? You just, did you just do Costello, man? He just did. He totally did. Nails a Costello on who's who owns the code. I love it. Wow. I, I I last Thursday did a presentation to an integrator on this very topic, which is when a customer says. I have this code somewhere. First question right there should be, can we go find it? Mm -hmm. Right because now. Because they don't. They just go, oh, well, you have it. Yeah, right now, you, I want to go find it. Yes, like right <laughs> now. Without it, having it, we don't know what to do. We don't know how much to charge. We don't know what's next. Right. You can, you can price on assumption. Oh, yeah. Which is what the integrators do. That's called guessing they, or lying. I'll, I'll, I'll even give you one on top of it, one that I just recently had. They technically had the code, but until I got it in my hands, I didn't find out until halfway through that it was just the compiled code. Somebody had gone in and had specifically pulled out key files. And we looked at it and went, this was somebody who went out of their way to do this yeah, on top of it. You know, I mean, I've seen that one happen as well. And it's like, because exactly what Mark's saying is, Source code is such this nebulous black hole of stuff, you know. The minute somebody yeah. says it, they feel like they're proud, like they've got the source, the buzzword right. Yeah. And well, it's like, one, of, one of the first things, I'll be willing to bet all these guys have the same answer. What's the first thing? If somebody says, I have the source code, Uncle Richie, Steve, Troy, I have the source code. Here's a copy of it. What's the first thing you guys do when you get that? Let's say you have all the files and it's uncompiled. What's the first thing you do? Try to you compile it. I heard it. Where was it? Try, try to compile, compile it. it. Try to compile it. Yeah. 
Yeah, because that, that tells you right there. I mean, if you get a job that's got thousands and thousands of errors after compile, uh, right out of the gate, you kind of know something about where you where you stand. Yeah, Just we, because somebody's got a disk with a name on it and says, hey, I got source code, that doesn't mean anything. Now, now listen, as a sales guy, I, I, I want this point to get across. So I would ask for Steve to, because he's really good at this, <laughs> to find what you're what talking about, Steve. When you compile something, talk about those errors that you see. What are you likely to see in, in terms of errors? Well, you either have missing files, <clears throat> excuse me, or, or it's just poorly written. You know, and so, so there's two two main things there. Missing files don't allow you to 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 mod make those modifications, but the the uh, you can get other errors that may or may not prevent you from modifying the code. And, and then uh, what and, happens, right? And so the what happens now is, and you have a screenshot of this, Tim. You'll yep. get a screenshot of these are the number of errors mm -hmm. that are in this code, and this is what's wrong with it. And the first thing we tell our customers is. But long before I'm using this code, we're going to clean it up and have zero yep. compile errors. Because if we're going to take this on, we're going to own it now, so to speak, not in the literal sense, but we're, we're taking ownership we're of this project now. And if we're taking ownership of this project, we have zero tolerance for digital jams and stuff like that. Don't have any room for it. Yeah, so, I don't care if it says it's a notice or, you know, it's not, it has no, I, I hear that all the time. Well, it, it doesn't really have an impact on the, that doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is, if there's not zero warnings, errors, or notices, guess what? I don't know when I break something. Yeah. That's right. That's the, right. The same can be. Somebody, like somebody filling off up your tank and then leaving the gas cap and letting you drive away. <laughs> and, but the same could be said for, for commenting. So, you know, when, when you're talking about source code, if you don't know, know what it means, if it's written in some cryptic way, then source, source code is pretty much useless if you can't modify it. So I guess that, that's another thing to think about. Um, you know, one thing that came to mind, too, and, and I want to take this in another direction this late in the program, but what's a programmer's responsibility for modifying code? So say a customer has an existing standard and now they say, I want to add rooms to what, what do we do? You know, do you, can uh, this existing standard that they've assumed wasn't probably written for them at the time as to be their existing standard that they were going to give to somebody else and they were they were going to do the the save as thing or, or replication or, or you know um but but that that's just another thing because so so i think that, that we too have a responsibility on the back end to not violate somebody else's intellectual property rights and and agreements yeah i think that's a whole separate show just about what happens when you get the code i mean i i, yeah. I could talk about a whole show of what happens when i get it because i mean again i've I've, I've been, you know, I'll admit, I've been on both sides of the baton. I've, I've handed off the baton, and I've had the baton handed to me on projects, you know, for whatever reasons that occur. And, you know, it, it really does depend. And that goes back to what Mark was talking about, about the relationship and, mm -hmm. and, and you know, what everybody else was talking about, which was the, hey, man, it's, it's on you. I am 100% with that. You know, Troy is spot on. It is on you if, if it's my, you know, my feeling, my, my, my personal beliefs filter into my professional ethics, which is I, at the core, want to be a good person and I want to run a good company. And if I am no longer involved, I am going to do everything possible to maintain my professional standing. Because again, I, th I think it's a karma thing. I truly do. You know, it's like if you start being very difficult professionally, uh, you know, and, and start stamping your foot, the ripple effects 
you know, what is it? Bad news travels fa five times faster than good news, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. uh, well, and I, I think, too, that we don't talk about it a lot in this business, but uh, we have, we're, we, BMA, we're a small company, okay? So we're not, we don't have the need to feed the beast with any order that comes along. So when there's that opportunity where we're either, you know, where somebody wants a baton to us and so forth, we're going to look at that. And to be honest with you, we'll pass on a project if it just doesn't look right. Now, in this down economy, for some folks, it's like, how could you do that? How could you give up a job? And it's just that simple. We we base our, we evaluate projects on three very simple principles. TMC, time, margin, competency. I need the time to get it done. I need margins because, you know, we're not a bank. We need to make a profit. Hmm. And competency. The program's only going to work as well as the install. If if the, the margins aren't there and the competency isn't there, two out of three, you got to be out. You can't take that just for the sake of feeding the beast. Larger companies, especially larger integrators, sometimes they just take on jobs because they have to get that revenue stream. But the smaller companies like us will turn around and go, you know what? This is a mess. And I would love to take some time to clean it for you, but we're not going to go down that road because we're too small and we don't have enough money and, you know, it's not worth it to us. So... Um, it, but it's it's something that we I'll probably once a month pass on a on a project that's being we're being asked to come in and help on pick up clean up. It, it, sometimes they're just not worth the effort. Uh, as much as you want to do what Rich is saying, which is ethically, you want to help. You want our industry to have a, a good reputation again. You know, you, you want everybody to think highly of what we do in our business. And then you come across a stinker and you're like, yeah, no, not that bad. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You got to walk it because uh, well, that's because of the day in dollars an hour. Yeah. <laughs> right. Let, let me well, ask. We want to be here. We want to be not here. Like which is 250 an hour. <laughs> hmm. Hey, hey, that's that's only for save as is, you know, anything more. He charges more for consulting, isn't it? Um, <laughs> let me let me let me broach a subject that I probably shouldn't like Steve said this late in the game, but I'm going to. Um, Again, I'm I'm a simplistic, you know, pseudo end user technology manager here. I'm going to ask a silly question, and and uh, Steve, we'll start with you and, and go around the horn. Is it time in talking about the code and, and all these issues and licensing and this, that, and the other, and making sure you have the correct revision? Is it time as an industry that we start lobbying the various manufacturers? To make it to where you guys, if I hire, you know, Mark or Rich or Troy or Steve to come in and, and fix my room, is it time to start lobbying the manufacturers to make it to where you guys can jack into the processor and pull off an uncompiled version of the code? Uh, and and you, in theory, you can. It just has to to be there, and it has to have been loaded. And, well, let, and, you know, I understand that you can you can save it different in different parts, but I'm talking about. It, let's say that that the person is unscrupulous and didn't do that. They just put up the oh. they compiled it and loaded it to the processor, and that it is what it is. The problem then is that it deals with you're you're talking now about memory space and allocation and everything else. You know, if it's a single boardroom, your memory allocation is going to be X. Now, if you're, you've got, you know, say, say it's a, say in residential, you know, a, a home theater system, single room is a much smaller project than if I had a home theater 
24 zones of audio, 15 zones of video, custom graphics across the board, dot, 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 dot. There might not be room to shove everything on there. And, and originally, when we were dealing with these systems, there wasn't. We were, we were getting by because the cost would get too prohibitive for the hardware to be able to hold on to it. It's, it's not a computer. You can't just add an extra hard drive and call it a day in the old days. And I think that the manufacturers have kind of, in some instance, have kind of held on to that and said, why do we want to have to have a, a, our device go over a price point, say it's $14.99 to $15.32, because we, we, you know, because we had to make sure and basically protect, protect our users from you know, an unscrupulous process. Um, you know, I mean, it would be great, but I just, you know, I don't know that it can necessarily come from outside programmers like ourselves. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, there's been lawsuits about some of this stuff that all of these manufacturers have dealt with, and it hasn't swayed them yet, you know, as far as I know. Yeah. I was just asking. <laughs> I, like I said, <laughs> it was a simplistic I mean, I mean, it's a good, And it's a good question, but I, I, I think that, again, it's, it's like anything else is, yeah, you can do it, but... Do you want to have it sold to you saying, hey, listen, the reason why this thing costs 300 bucks more per room is because we need to be able to safeguard you, you know, from winking, blinking and nod loading your code. But wouldn't that be worth it, though? For 300 bucks? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. If you think about it, I mean, you're, you're buying an insurance policy then. And, we, you know, we all buy those every day. And fortunately, you don't have to use them every day. But to know that you have it and, and that your source code is protected, I think that there, there'd be a lot of value in that. Yeah. I don't I mean, think it, it like fixes the uh, fundamental problem. I, I think the fundamental problem remains, and that is that we're not we're not communicating about this up front. We're not being clear about what it is they're actually buying uh, at the end of the sale, kind of a thing. And you know, it, really, I, I mean, let's look at that mess for a second and say, what would that be like? Now, anybody at any time can go into any room, jack into a processor, get the stuff out make modifications and changes, I, I, I mean, where's the responsibility lie at that point? Who's it on? No, the and I agree. And, there, you know. Yeah. Well, well no, and to turn it around, and I think that's actually a good question, and Troy brought it out, is say, say, Tim, say you decide you want to go ahead and upgrade, and say Troy, Mark, and I all worked on a project together. We were all responsible for different parts, and we all contributed our intellectual property to it. Maybe I had a really cool video or, or UI layout, and Mark and Barry had this very cool video codec, and, and Troy did some you know, amazing stuff with audio processing and mics. We all dump it in there because we've all agreed, and we have a master program, and boom, it's all set to go. Tim walks up with his laptop, you know, and you know, like I said, you're the facilities manager. You see all this code and go, holy cow, this is amazing. You download it to your laptop, and you've now opened Tim Albright. Third-party programming. Yeah. Because based yeah. on your based on your example, you could and literally you, take everything that we just put in there and walk away with it. And, and you, would you don't end. even know any better. You didn't, Tim, you didn't even know you made a mistake at that point. You had no and, idea. And Tim, make no mistake, there are plenty of <laughs> low-end independent programmers who would be more than happy. Absolutely. Go process, download it. Botch your code, give it to a customer, have it fail, walk away. The customer calls Crestron. Crestron goes, send somebody out. They pull the code off. They see our name on it because, you know, Billy Bob decided to make a couple of bucks off of it. 
I've had Crestron call us and say, hey, you really screwed this customer with this module. And we're like, what are you, what are you talking about? That's not even our customer. Somebody took our huh? code, mm. our module, used it somewhere else, botched, <clears throat> botched the job, and our fingerprint is on it. So let that be on your head, Tim Albright. Let that be on your head. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. I take back the question. The, the thing is, the what Tim suggested. I think all the manufacturers would like, though, because what what gets what gives them the most grief when they have a customer who's screwed. Mm. I mean, and they they can't they can't fix something, and and that's the, I think that that the, there needs to be some sort of a, a, a happy medium there. Well, and I think if there was a way for some type of a, an insurance policy of sort to, to play a role, I, I, I think that I think there's definitely a benefit to that. Um, I, it's just the, the idea of leaving something out there for anybody to grab. The problem is there are a lot of anybody's out there that don't yeah. carry the ethics that they should in this business. And they're the ones that bring us all down just because they're trying to make a buck. That's, that's right, Mark. I mean, it, it's certainly a bigger can of worms to be able to grab stuff out of a processor and make make changes to it. But I also agree that, you know, the the, uh, the manufacturers would love nothing more than to be in that position because they're the ones that get the, you know, pissed off phone calls from, from these people. And and I think it's got to, I think it's got to come from the manufacturers. It's got to come from the industry veterans. It's got to come from, 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 all the right people uh, to to again get our industry to grow up a little bit and get our get our uh, wrap our minds around the the fact that we are dealing with hundreds of thousands of dollars in intellectual property and we have to communicate about it properly. We have to be clear and understand what it, it's it's like a landscaper getting in, in into the landscaping business without knowing what to do with a hoe and a and a lawnmower. I mean. You just don't do that. If, if you're going to be in the business of, of selling software, you'd better get your butt into a book or something and figure out what's really going on. And, and so problem, you can problem, talk though, about Troy, it. The, Troy, the problem is that there are a bunch of landscapers in our business that don't know what to do with a hoe. I, I, I hear you. And, and I'm saying that's what needs to be fixed. Yeah, and and unfortunately, that that that's a bigger question because, what do you do with the landscaper? You know, the, what do you do with the the programmer that doesn't know what to do? You you can't, you can't fire them from the industry. You all you can do is educate your 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 clients and your customers, and your friends, and hopefully, eventually, you know, the word will get around that this is what a good programmer looks like, and yes. this is what a poor one looks like. Well, this was that's the, what this the manufacturers the should do. Yeah, that, that maybe is, that should and, be. And, and, Platforms like this right here are going to help that as well. Yeah. And maybe that should be part of training. Maybe, maybe part of training is the responsibility of yeah. having these tools and using them properly. I, I, I would add a, a, one of the best efforts I've seen come out of, of Infocom's Independent Programmers Council is its, its uh, best business practices yeah. document, which, okay, it's one thing if you've got a laptop and a cell phone and you've downloaded some, cross, you know, some software and you'd say you can control, uh, you can uh, write code for a control system, but how's your business set up? Mm -hmm. And this document that was put out by the Independent Programmers Council is a beautiful roadmap to explain what you as an end user and a customer should expect from your programmer when they show up to talk about doing a job. Now, again, education, training, 
getting the word out, all important items. Uh, but unfortunately, the people that don't adhere to that are they're just cheap as dirt. You know what I mean? And so somebody's going to write your code for 19 bucks an hour plus a Twinkie. And you're like, well, I don't know how it's going to go, but it's worth it to give it a try. And uh, those people are always going to be there. They're always going to be there. But you know what? I can't speak for the rest of these guys. I'm always going to find you. I'm going to right. find you. I'm going to rat you out because you are bad for our business. True. Wow. All right, guys. Well, that that is going to do us for uh, for time today. I knew that this might end up being two two shows, and it may. We'll we'll, we'll talk about it afterwards. Uh, I'd like to thank all four of you, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Uh, with us has been uh, Troy Morgan. He is the president of Pantech Design. Thank you, sir. Welcome, man. Would you like to uh, to promote or pimp your your website, your Twitter handle, anything? Uh, it's pretty simple. www.pantechdesign.com. You can go see how we do what we do. And uh, also learn a little bit more about uh, intellectual property and, uh, you know, drawings and scopes and the necessity of them. Very good. All right. Uh, also with us has been Rich Fergoza, owner and uh, chief uh, guy at Fergoza Design. Sir, would you like to give people your, your Twitter and your uh, your website? Yeah. Uh, uh, I'll have to, I'm going to have to register Uncle Richie says one of Dead these days. Um, but, yeah, no, you can find <laughs> us on the website at fergosadesign.com. Twitter uh, and all the social media stuff. Twitter uh, at rfragosa. You can find me on Google Plus, and at any other time, you'll also find me as a contributor at uh, cepro.com as well. Cepro.com. Uh, also, <laughs> that was very lovely. Uh, Mark Delvecchia, president of BMA Software Solution. Thank you, sir. Oh, thank you for having us. And, um, and your website and such. Uh, you know, you can reach us at uh, bmasoftwaresolutions.com, but, you know, your best bets just call me, 714-455-2717. Uh, we're not big on the marketing thing, so if you think we're at a, ho a home for you, you give me a call. Very good. And thanks for the opportunity, as always. Absolutely. Thank you. And now last school. Last but not yeah. least, hey, you know what? He didn't say telegraph, you know. Uh, last but not least, here's my Morse code. Uh, yeah, his his phone number starts with you know um, Vermont or something. <laughs> Br five. Uh, Steve Greenblatt, uh, the uh, the chief muckety mucket control concepts. Where can people find you, sir? I can be found on social media at Steve Greenblatt. That's Twitter and LinkedIn uh, slash Steve Greenblatt, and uh, website is controlconcepts.net. Very good. Uh, my name is Tim Albright. I didn't do a whole lot. I just sat here and listened to these gentlemen. Uh, but go by the website if you would, please, uh, avnation.tv, avnation.tv. You'll find this program as well as our weekly AV Week and the other monthlies that we do, avnation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. This has been a State of Control.